0: And greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, Shabbat Shalom. Yes, we're on the funny cam again, but I can see you better in the chat. So put a little note up in the chat and give us some thumbs up before we get going on the teaching today. And make sure you do subscribe to this ministry channel here on YouTube because it really helps get other sheep in From the pasture, out there in the nation, joining the flock. And like I said last week, you can always go over there onto Odyssey, where we've backed everything up on Odyssey because of all of the New World Order globalist editing and deplatforming that goes on. So we are over there on Odyssey, and you can check us out there. Thank you so much, everybody, that does support this ministry through your financial giving. Please, if you don't, please consider giving to this ministry. Um, You can go to toratotetribes.com forward slash donate or giving. Check down one of the scrolls there. Or you can look in the description below and you can just text Torah to the number in the description below. We try to make it as easy for you as possible thank you again those of you that do support this ministry we are truly truly blessed let's dig in this week we are in chapter 32 of isaiah the fifth hebrew gospel this week is uh it's quite a refreshing chapter not too apocalyptic it's comforting and it should give us shalom so I hope you enjoy it. I've enjoyed this week just the calmness of it. I feel like I've really come to peace because if we are in Yahusha, as the writer of the book of Hebrews speaks so plainly today, if you hear his voice, then you can truly come to peace in that king of righteousness. And that's what this chapter is about. It's about coming to peace. So let's come to peace together this Sabbath. Turn with me to chapter 32 of Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. So during this chapter, Judah, of course, with Jerusalem as its capital is confronted internally with all of its struggles and externally with all of its trials and struggles with the Invasion, upcoming of the Assyrians. There's a political upheaval. The threat still that we've been speaking of the past few weeks about the Assyrian invasion is is still looming. So the people, their leaders, they're struggling. They're struggling with their faith. They're struggling with righteousness. They're struggling with this temptation to turn back to Egypt. The temptation to be reliant upon worldly powers. And in the midst of it all, there's Yahuwah through the still small voice calling for them, calling for us. Trust, have faith, emunah, trust in Yahuwah, trust in Yahuwah, trust in Yahuwah for your deliverance. And for us to truly understand that, we've got to see more of this prophecy. So Isaiah in the 32nd chapter here, he's going about delivering a prophecy. He's addressing the political and moral crises at hand. Now think about where we're at today. We are in a world with such political and moral crises. So we can see the cinnamons and the, and, and the, the, the parallelisms, I should say, between the text and where we live in the world today. Because Isaiah is is drilling home those consequences of turning away from Yahuwah. And are we tempted and tested every single day on relying upon what's in front of us or taking the time to stop and come to peace with the situation and turning from the world and turning toward Yahuwah? Again, there's the exhortation to trust in Yahuwah rather than human alliances. And I seem to be beating a dead horse here, but this is what Isaiah has been doing since the 29th chapter. Trusting in Yahuwah rather than turning to human alliances. And if it was that simple, he wouldn't keep bringing it up again and again and again. Because ultimately, you and I need to look to the restoration and blessings that await us when we do trust in Yahuwah and turn our back on human alliances. Let's open up with the first verse. See, a melech shall reign in zadakar, melech zadik, melech zadakar. the two words there, the king of righteousness. See, a king shall reign in righteousness and rulers shall rule in mishpat, judgment. So a righteous king, who will reign justly, symbolizing a future ideal ruler, contrasted with the, with the current ruler of Judah and with the current rulers of the ten northern trials, tribes that got exiled into the dispersion because of their wicked, wicked kings. And you can go through the history of the kings of Judah and you can go through the history of the kings of Israel and you can see even if there was a righteous king, then it turned out that his descendant turned out to be an abomination. Look at Hezekiah. I mean, and his son was one of the most evil kings that there was. So the term here... Emphasizes, Melech emphasizes a powerful, authoritative figure who embodies justice and righteousness. And we get to be the ones that actually see the fullness of this because of Yehusha. The fullness of this because it is all detailed in the book of Hebrews. The Hebrew word here, of course, we know it, Melech for king. Is significant in the Paleo Hebrew. You can look at it and you can look at um, the word pictures, which I think is fascinating. You've got the Hebrew letters mem, lamed, and a cuff so feet. That's the long cuff that goes underna- e- underneath the line. Mem, lamed, cuff so feet. And these letters signify water, staff, and an open hand in the Paleo, informing us that the king. Is going to provide stability and justice with his outstretched hands leading his people into equity and righteousness that's the right dealings between man and man and this is what the book of Hebrews emphasizes specifically in the eleventh verse of the seventh chapter now as we go down into the second verse It says, and each man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and as a shelter from the storm, as rivers of Mayim water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary, weary land. So you can see now the the, um, allegorical imagery coming forth in the text. It's describing people as acting as shelters, and sources of strength for one another. Is that what we are supposed to be as an assembly? As brethren, when we come together at the Moedim? are we not to act as shelters and sources of strength for one another? That is the ecclesia, the called out assembly, the church, if you will, is supposed to act as a shelter and a source of strength for one another where the weak and the needy are supposed to be able to come in. So we can see right here the use of metaphors like shelter from the wind and streams of water in the desert. What is it speaking to? It's speaking to the community, the ecclesia, the church, the kahal providing support and solace in times of need. That is the best sorah. That is the gospel, is it not, of what Isaiah speaks so clearly. Now look at the third verse. And the eyes of them that shall see not be dim, and the ears of them that will hear, they shall hear, Shema, shema. And this verse here is alluding to what? Spiritual awakening, to an enlightenment, waking up from the slumber it's symbolizing a shift in your perception a shift in my perception where i'm finally understanding the scripture in its historical context to the 12 tribes scattered abroad ephraim and judah the house of joseph do we understand this or are we reading the scripture from a Western Gentile mind and then getting confused because we're seeing it from our culture rather than the culture of the text itself. Because people are finally waking up and understanding and with that they respond in divine wisdom, Hokma, binah, wisdom and understanding. And it indicates what? A transformative process that then happens within us as we become more receptive to the word. Instead of fighting the Bible, we become receptive to it because we embrace it, because we see it in its historical context, and we become spiritually attuned to that state. That's what Torah does. Torah, the, 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 the fence posts, the guideposts to lead us and direct us through his word as it is written it is written we always go to what is written what does the spirit say now look at the the um, eighth verse chapter 32 going down into the eighth verse here just time here but the generous plans generous things and by generous things shall he stand so here the prophet hints at a deeper pressing in, almost like a mystical understanding of nobility. And it's, it goes way beyond social status. He's showing us how true nobility of one's character is evidenced in honorable intentions and actions. So the emphasis again is on pure equity, true equity the right dealings between man and man as king solomon demonstrates to us so isaiah he's foreseeing a future king of righteousness a malchizedek he's foreseeing a community that supports one another he's seeing a call for spiritual awakening he's seeing the importance of noble and equitable intentions and actions This is the Melchizedek Priesthood. This is supposed to be the kahal. This is supposed to be how the modern assembly is to act. He's urging us to walk in righteousness. He's urging us to walk in justice. And justice, to be just, must be administrated justly. You must use equal weights and measures. You must have a balanced scale. You must support your community, and you must always point to the coming Melchizedek, the ideal ruler, which is Mashiach, which is Yehusha. Now look at the verse 11. Tremble, you women that are at ease. Be troubled, you carefree ones. Strip yourself and make yourselves bare, and put on sackcloth upon your loins. What's that about? The prophet is admonishing complacent and secure women. He's warning that there's going to be an impending change. So the language highlights the impending unease and discomfort that will affect those that have been so, so secure in their beliefs, so, so secure in their worldly comforts, But they are going to be woken up with sharp, impending changes. And it's going to come about instantly. Better to prepare now than be caught in that situation. Look at the 15th verse. Until the ruach is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness is a faithful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. So Isaiah here, he's depicting spiritual renewal, he's got the agricultural elements again, we're talking about abundance, we're talking about the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, this spiritual awakening that transforms my life, that transforms your life and takes what was desolate and brings it into richness and fertility. Look at your life before you knew Yahusha. And now look at it now, you should see a transformation from desolation into richness and fertility right that's that's how you shall know them by their fruits and in the 17th verse it goes on to say and the work of zadakar righteousness shall be shalom and the effect of zadakar righteousness shall be rest and trust leolam vayed forever and ever so these are the fruits of being In Yahusha, if we're to understand him as the promised Malchizedek of which Isaiah is prophesying, is which I believe and I think you would agree with me. So we can see that in him we are truly to what? Have shalom, shalom, shalom. We're supposed to live the effects of righteousness. We're supposed to live in trust and meaning we come to peace. Even in times of difficulty, And peril, we have to come to peace with the situation. We have to accept it and come to peace. We now see righteousness, zadhakar, leads to shalom. It leads to an inner tranquility. It leads to a confidence. Righteousness then, zadhakar, it not only affects us as individuals, key point listen but it influences the atmosphere around us you can change the atmosphere around you by your conduct when chaos comes upon your borders you and i have a charge to walk on water to turn that chaos into shalom that's what we're charged to do That's what Yahuwah said, that we're to have dominion over the earth. Yahuwah brought his dominion over the earth in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 by speaking his word to the chaos and the void. And when we speak his word to a perishing world, we are bringing calm to the chaos. And when chaos comes upon our borders, we have a charge to turn that storm into calm. And that's the way I choose and want to live. And have I attained it? Sometimes, infrequently. But is it a desire of mine? Yes. Am I learning and growing? Yes. Because true zadakar does lead to shalom. It does lead to tranquility. And it does lead to eternal confidence. Because it's not only affecting us as individuals, but we have the power. To influence the atmosphere around us look at the 18th verse and my people shall live in a homeland of Shalom in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places so this verse when I read it, it alludes to an ideal state where we dwell peacefully in secure undisturbed places it's symbolizing a harmonious existence oh man i just want to be in harmony with my brethren where there's a sense of spiritual tranquility a sense of protection and you've cast out fear but we live in a world where they're pushing fear 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 Anxiety, 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 chaos, chaos, chaos. All these different voicings, all these different opinions. This could happen, that could happen, this could happen. And it is actually stirring up a storm. In the nations, rumors of war, rumors of war. Do you see? It's satanic in contrast to Melchizedek. So Isaiah is portraying a warning to those of us that become complacent, because if we are complacent, then storms will naturally wash up upon our shores. We naturally live in a chaotic world. But the commandments of Yahuwah are there for us to bring calm to the chaos. And if we're not keeping the commandments of Yahuwah, then we're embracing chaos. Because the commandments are what fights the chaos, brings peace to the chaos. Does that make sense? He gave us his word to bring peace to the chaos, to calm the storms. It's a spiritual awakening and it leads to fertility, multiplicity, abundance. And it's always associated with the righteousness of his saints that come to peace. There's an anticipation here within this chapter of an ideal peaceful state. That's what I've taken out of it thus far this week. So the emphasis then is on spiritual renewal. It's on zedekar, righteousness. Upon the transformation of desolation, what was desolate, desolate, is now become abundant. It's portraying an ideal state of peace and security. But now you want me to give you the pre-millennial interpretation, don't you? And you want me to bang on about Jacob's trouble, don't you? And then you want me to talk about the millennial. I know you do. Okay, I will. The 32nd chapter, the first verse, it's talking, in my interpretation, a premillennial interpretation. See, a melech, a king shall reign in Zadokah, and rulers shall rule in Mishpat, judgment. So to me, this verse in a premillennial interpretation it suggests the post-resurrection belief in a righteous king. Who is that righteous king? Yahusha is his name. The Malkit Zedek seated at the right hand of Yahuwah, Psalm 110. Isaiah's vision, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11, seems to depict our present world. Does it not? Are we not the recipients of this righteous king? that Isaiah foresaw, we are now the benefactors of. Praise Yah for that. So we can see clearly of what he was prophesying. But there's going to come some trouble. Don't be complacent. And it's called Jacob's first trouble. Scroll down to the 13th verse of Isaiah, chapter 32, the 13th verse. And now you're going to see a hint alluding to Jacob's first trouble, which of course is pictured when he divided the camps, When he went to meet his brother Esau. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and weeds. What's the first thing that happened after the fall of man? Thorns and thistles. There was no, we wouldn't have any blooming blackberries if it wasn't for sinning. Okay? Thorn, there wouldn't be any poison oak. Thorns and thistles are a product, a byproduct of sin. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and weeds. Yes, upon all the houses of Simcha joy in the joyous city. So this verse, obviously, to me, is is hinting at the onsets of trouble. Because that's what happens when you talk about weeds, thistles, thickets. And the trouble is for Jacob, Yaakov, Israel. It foreshadows desolation, does it not? And ruin. What happens when you leave a city unattended? Thorns and thistles come. Desolation, ruin, preceding a period known as Jacob's first trouble or distress. There are weeds and thistles growing up all over the world, all over the nations currently. And if you can't see it, I don't know what to tell you. We live in a world and they are fertilizing thorns, weeds, and thistles. They love it because they're trying to poison your mind. Poison your spirit because they're trying to bring desolation and ruin. You can see it. Ah, But there's hope, a millennial hope. Look at the 15th verse. Until the Ruach, HaKodesh, the Ruach, the spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness is a fruitful field and the fruitful field is counted, As a forest, I see men as trees, walking. When you are touched by Yahushua and you open your eyes and you see the vanity and traditions of man, the traditions of the elders, and you start to see the word of Yahuwah alive, you become wise. This verse betrays the prophesied millennial. Millennium, And it's marked by the outpouring of the spirit. Smile. It symbolizes the transformation from desolation to abundance. It's talking about spiritual fertility. During the millennial reign, is it not? Or is it just me? Look at the 18th verse. And my people shall live in a homeland of Shalom and in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. I think this verse also depicts a millennium, a period of undisturbed rest and safe dwelling. And then we get to the end of the millennial, the final return of Yahushua in bodily form. Isaiah chapter 32, the last verse, verse 20. Blessed are you that sow beside all kinds of mayim water, that send forth the feet of the ox and the donkey. So, this verse to me is symbolizing the period following the millennium, portraying a time of immense blessing, a time of prosperity, a time of freedom. It's a simple chapter. This one was a real simple one for me. And I stayed in the simplicity of the text because I'm like, I don't want to go off too apocalyptic. I'm just going to enjoy it for the peace that it brings to me this week because it reveals to me distinct stages and events related to our time. It really does. speaks to me as our life in the Malkit in Yahusha himself. And yes, I can see the upcoming Jacob's first trouble. I can see the millennium in it. I can see the great tribulation. I can see the final return of Yahushua. But that's Isaiah. I mean, that's Isaiah. He contrasts between all of this. Isaiah gives us glimpses into various periods and transitions of significant spiritual and worldly importance. And he does that often. And it's sometimes difficult for people to keep up with those glimpses and transitions. Because one minute you're like, well, is he talking? What's he talking about? But the takeaway that I got from this week is the general law. is a general law. And it's the law of myopia, or the law better of generational myopia. What is that? The law of generational myopia emphasizes how individuals and societies, they tend to forget to overlook the lessons and experiences of past generations. There's a tendency to repeat mistakes or to fall into similar patterns of behavior. And it leads to cyclical challenges. My wife is an expert on calling this out in my life. Oh, there you go in your generational myopia, Matthew. Falling into your similar patterns of behavior leading to cyclical challenges within life. But isn't that what a good wife is for? My wife's here today, so I get to pick on her a little bit. Lots, but that's all right. But Isaiah, it's edification. I that I mean, you want to have iron sharpens iron. That's what a good woman is for. Isaiah, he's cautioning us against forgetting the historical lessons of reliance on human strength over divine guidance and the law of generational myopia, it encourages us to break the cycle of myopia by learning from the past and by avoiding the same pitfalls. In Isaiah chapter, and we all have it. I mean, I know I'm I'm teasing with my wife and she's talking about me, but it's not, I'm not the only one with cyclical problems. We all do, it's called, the fall of man. It's called generational iniquity. But at least I admit it. Can you admit it? Because unless we accept that we have got tendencies of generational myopia, we won't break the cycle. So the law encourages us to break the cycle of myopia. How do we do it? By learning from the past and avoiding the same pitfalls. There's an admonition in this chapter, Matthew, break the cycle. Break free from the generational myopia that leads to misplaced trust and instead embrace the enduring wisdom, hokmah, of relying upon divine guidance because that's where I will find prosperity. That's where I will find security. See, for me, this chapter did bring me to peace. This week. I, I do recognize the tendency within myself. I do recognize the tendency within societies to forget the lessons of their forefathers. And in individuals in this very time that Isaiah is writing And today, we are being urged to break the cycle. If the Judahites had broken the cycle, then the afflictions upon them wouldn't have come. But they couldn't break the cycle. They couldn't break the cycle of the traditions, of the doctrines of men. Today, we have a whole slew of believers that just cannot break the cycle of the traditions and doctrines of men. But we should be fostering a deeper understanding of the consequences of our actions and choices. And our choices should be based upon the word of Yahuwah, not the doctrines and teachings of men. The law of myopia speaks to the importance of learning from history to build a more enlightened and spiritually resilient assembly. Envy. And short-sightedness, or what I would term the law of short-sightedness, is closely related to the idea of generational myopia, where people focus on immediate worldly gains, or people focus on immediate worldly alliances, without actually considering that there is going to be long-term consequences or the broader spiritual perspective of it. And in this modern world, in conclusion, in which we are inhabitants, we have got to transcend the myopic state. How do we do it? By the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. By prayer. By worshipping Yahuwah in song. And the washing of the word daily. We have to shut down The inroads and the avenues of myopia, the thorns and the thistles that are all around us, brethren, which seek to infiltrate us at every single turn, especially with these electronic devices. They can be a blessing, but usually they're a cursing. They can be flowers of fertility because you can open e-sword and you can do Bible study. But you know what? Most of the time you're using it and I'm using it and it's a distraction. It's a thorn in your side. It's a thistle growing up. Oh, there's another notification. And it's not a notification to repent, is it? There's another notification. It'd be great if we were, maybe, maybe there's an app. Maybe Maybe that's how we make our next million is you know we come up with an app that gives you notifications to stay on the righteous path. Those are the kind of notifications we want, but we don't get those kind of notifications, do we? Chapter 32. That's what I've got for you this week. Give us some thumbs up. Hit the notifications. Hit the subscribe button. Go visit us over there on Odyssey, and let's see if you have anything in the chat. And now is a great time to think about supporting the ministry through your giving of your tithes and offerings. We thank you so much, those of you that do. You can go in the description below and you can just text Torah to that number or you can make it a little bit more complicated for yourself and actually open up a browser and go to our website. I'd suggest you do that anyway because you'll be able to read all kinds of documents on there and you'll be able to access all of the videos and the teachings there as well. So be blessed, be blessed. I'll, I'll have a, see if I can answer a few questions. Anyone that wants to redline me in the chat, um, I will see if I can um, navigate this here. Alma, Shabbat Shalom Alma. What is the name of the person or book you refer to The last week, without the knowledge of the two houses, one does not fully understand the scriptures. Well, I think, you know, I can't remember the name of the book. Can you help me, anyone here in studio? I think it's maybe the two houses of Israel. Um, Maybe it's Butcher Wooten, just off the top of my head. Now, that's a name I haven't spoken in 20 years, but that was good recall. I think that's what it is. Um, Anyway. Yeah, sorry, I think that's what it is. You have to do a little, um, um, maybe browser, look on your browser. Latoya, Shabbat Shalom, Latoya. She says it was a refreshing lesson this evening. Thank you. I felt refreshed too. You know, I didn't get all crazy this week, did I? Huh? I feel refreshed. Peter Rumpi, thank you, Matthew. Well, thank you so much, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. And um, let's see, I think that's all I've got for you. It was a great, I feel very peaceful today. Do you guys feel peaceful? I hope I was a blessing to you. You're a blessing to me. It's always wonderful to spend the Sabbath together. And on that note, go to tribes.com forward slash connect and scroll down and you can find all the places you can connect with us. We've got men's prayer, women's prayer, men's gathering, Shabbat fellowship. You can connect with people all over the world using the Zoom platform and greet and meet one another. You can find people near. Our hopes is that we'll come to the annual pilgrimage feasts. We plan on being able to at the Passover, which of course is the next Moed. Embrace one another as we break bread and we are so thankful for the Zedek, who does sit at the right hand of the Father interceding for us daily. Change your life, transform the world around you. You have the power to do it. Shabbat Shalom and thank you all. We'll catch you next Sabbath.